Hi, I'm Jess. And I'm George. And I'm Peterson. And this is Transpantastic, a podcast about gender, identity, orientation, and all the life that happens between it. Today we do have amazing human being, Peterson Toscano, talking with us about his amazing work. Amazing. I'm so amazed to be here. I'm really grateful to have the opportunity to be on your show. You're welcome. You're welcome. And we first became aware of your work way, way back when we were listening to Transponder. Yes. I love that show. Wow, it was such a great show. Yeah. They were great. I miss those girls. Yeah. Back then, you were working on integrating faith communities and queer communities at the time that you were interacting with their work. Well, I got into all of this in a sort of backwards way. I was living my life as a born-again, evangelical, conservative, Republican, cisgender Christian who was desperately trying not to be gay. And that was the part that made it difficult to be all those other things because um, I definitely was gay and am gay. And and I was in this long, almost 20-year struggle to reconcile my faith and sexuality. And I finally came to the conclusion it could not be reconciled in the way that I thought. I had to literally embrace a whole new identity and leave the church that I loved and come out gay and start over again. And in doing so, then I began to tell my story, which people found to be weird and interesting and not completely uncommon. Uh, And in doing so, I began to look at, you know, how faith communities can be so unbelievably hostile towards us and that there needs to be work to do harm reduction, to get them to repent. And so I began to engage in what was called the ex-gay survivor movement, to call these people to account and to call on them to, to turn from their wicked ways, as it were. Very good. Now, in the story of your coming out, which I've heard you tell before, you said that there were a couple of trans people that were very instrumental in your understanding of yourself or in your coming to that understanding of yourself. Would you be willing to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I definitely would. Early on, when I was living in New York City and trying not to be gay, not an easy place to not be gay, (laughs) and I was working at this job, and there was a woman there who was a trans woman. This was like in the mid-80s, late late mid to late 80s and she was just out and proud trans woman wonderful and i felt both compelled to get close to her and repelled not because she was trans but because she was so wildly queer and i was trying not to be right so i found myself always gravitating towards her desk she was the head of the it department which was pretty amazing for an organization back then in the 80s i was right. very, I'll say. yeah but i was threatened by her too because she was not afraid of who she was and so that was was a strange struggle that i had there because just her existence provoked me to have to look at myself and then of course i stuffed it all back in for a couple more years till i finally came out and then after i came out i was terrified of what it meant to be gay. And I had tons of misconceptions about the LGBTQ collective. But then I met a pastor, a gay pastor, who asked me to write a poem. He knew I was artistic-minded. Judy Shepard was coming to Memphis, Tennessee, where I was living at the time. Her son had just been killed in a horrible hate crime. He wanted me to write a poem about 
the LGBTQ community in Memphis, which I knew nothing about because I had just come out. Right. Like 10 minutes before. <laughs> and I was like, I, I don't know. He's like, here, let me give you some names of people. Talk to them. And he gave me this list of the most eclectic, wonderful group of LGBTQ people of all different races and genders and gender identities and trans grandmothers and all sorts of folks. And it was really helpful in seeing that people can be out on their own terms because I thought I had to fit some sort of gay advocate magazine pattern in order to come out. And I, then the, yeah, I, that's I, quite a uh, calming there. <laughs> to well, have and to I think that's actually to. a really common experience for a lot of people who, you know, whether it's coming out as a young person or coming out as an older adult with limited experience or limited exposure to the queer community, that, you know, if your only input has been these few role models or these few media personalities, then you see yourself trying to fit into the only example that you have. Yeah, exactly. And I wasn't about to exchange one cultural identity for another one. Right. I was like that. I did that once. I need to come out as myself. And part of that had to do with gender. And I, and I had to begin to recognize that my struggle was not only that I was struggling with being gay. I was struggling with being a sissy. And that was a part of me that was always there that I beat to death and shoved in the closet. And when I first came out, I, I noticed these cis gay men had all of these negative attitudes towards trans people, particularly trans women. Right. And, and I found it so familiar because it reminded me of how the evangelical Christians fell towards gay folks, not because we were having gay sex, but because we weren't manly men. Right. And I recognize that any negative feelings I had towards these women were personal because I hadn't worked out my own stuff. And I still had that sissy boy bound and gagged in the closet. And it was through getting to know people like Mila and Jaina and other trans folks that I really came to grips with the reality that, yes, I'm gay. I'm cisgender, but I'm also gender variant. I'm a sissy with a C. Right. Yes, that's great. That's totally great. A sissy. That's great. <laughs> I'm thinking that the time period as well in our culture in the LGBTQ community, trying not to be gay was definitely a thing that was happening for a lot of people. And trying to figure out what to do about it once you figured out, no, really, I need to come out to myself and, and so forth is... is what type of person am I then? And, and like you were saying, Peterson, you didn't want to conform to some other thing. You've done that. And, and I had done something similar with a more cult-like religious experience um, and tried to conform to that. And I, I didn't want to... I've seen pictures. They're bizarre. Yeah, they are. <laughs> They're bizarre pictures, yeah. Wow. Just thinking about that that culture a little bit of, of trying to cope with you know now we have google and we have access to each other yes we have podcasts we have other things where we can communicate and get support and the world is simultaneously bigger and smaller yeah so yeah it's not just on a shiny magazine or yeah right yeah something that you might be very afraid to look at yes at that time true true yeah, yeah. right 
So from your LGBT religious activism, you found some other passions as well, because none of us are only one thing. You're not just a queer activist. You're not just a religious activist. You also came into a passion for climate change activism and for environmental activism as well. Yeah, I have to say it was a whole other coming out experience in in many ways. And like many coming out experiences, I found that when I publicly alerted people that I was concerned about climate change, I got some of the same negative reactions people get for coming out queer, where people, some people avoided me, some people were even hostile towards me. Uh, not, And these are not climate, people are dismissive of climate change, but these are people who just like, oh, listen, I don't need to hear that. And um, I felt very alone in lots of ways because people who were incredibly supportive for years suddenly were not interested in what I was talking about or doing. And and that's the funny thing with climate change. It's one of those things. It's such a downer that people just expect it's going to be gloom and doom and shame and guilt. And who wants that crap? Which is exactly what I was part of my revelation. Like, yeah, I'm concerned about climate change. It affects everything. It's a human rights issue because it affects people disproportionately. Um, Some people far more than others. But it's also something that desperately needs good storytelling and comedy to help people get close to things that I've been doing for years with LGBTQ stuff and Bible stuff. And, um, And so it's been a wonderful challenge to take on this topic that... So few people really want to hear about. There's so many strong emotions and they're mostly negatives about it. And uh, to break through that, to try to come up with fresh new ways of talking about it. I remember first hearing about that you were starting the project Climate Stew from when you had been on Queer and Queerer with Zach Ford. Right. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, this is great. There, There's a real need for this. And so I started following that. And now you're working with Citizens Climate Lobby. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, I'm a co-leader of a local chapter, but I also am the host of their monthly show, Citizens Climate Radio. And then also throughout all of this, you have continued um, giving your presentations about all these varied topics. And I remember the about a year, year and a half ago, maybe I might have the time wrong on this, but you said that you were going to be retiring one of your shows that I had or one of your pieces that I had really wanted to see was the Transfigurations. And I was like, no, (laughs) please tell me you're recording it. And you messaged back within the same day and said, oh, yeah. And I was like, oh, good. Yeah. And so can you tell me how that all like... How did that even come about? How did you start working on developing that show? Could we back up to the to the genesis of that concept? Definitely. So we're going to have to go back to like 2005 and 2006. Oh, perfect. Yeah. So it was back in those days, I was doing a play called Doing Time in the Homo Nomo Halfway House, How I Survived the Ex-Gay Movement. Right. <laughs> it's a comedy about um, the love and action program I attended in Memphis, Tennessee, which was a residential ex-gay program. And that's, I was known as the Homo Nomo guy. And we were working on the ex-gay survivor movement and really doing that work. And I became aware at that time, very clearly aware of how poorly trans people were being treated by cisgender gays and lesbians. And that um, it really bothered me because it reminded me again of the experience that I got as a gay guy from from non-gay folks at churches. And I thought, well, this is stupid. 
You know, we haven't done all this work so that we can recreate the same systems of oppression on each other. Surely we can do better than that. And it pissed me off. And um, I also pissed me off when I heard people trying to find gay characters in the Bible. And they, they were looking for gay characters, but to determine them gay, they looked at gender differences. So the first one I heard was somebody said, oh, there's a gay character in the Gospels. The man carrying a pitcher of water, he's gay. I'm like, he's gay? Why? Was he having sex with another man? Because that's gay. And no, no, no. He, it's because he's carrying a pitcher of water. That's something only women would do. That makes him gay. I'm like, the, not necessarily. That's a really <laughs> common cultural misunderstanding, conflating gender and orientation. Yeah. Right. Because sometimes they do cross over, right? Sometimes you could have someone like me who is a sissy boy, but also gay. Right. But the gender differences um, aren't necessarily because I'm gay or, you know, if they are, it doesn't necessarily mean that somebody who is a sissy is automatically gay. And it also erases a whole group of people who, you know, their their identity is more about their gender than their orientation. Right. And so, yeah, people, yes, get them all mixed up uh, at times. And this pissed me off. And I was like, you know what? You can't be stealing trans people's stories from them in the Bible if you're going to be looking for your own. And that's when I decided maybe there are other stories like this. And instead of asking the question, who's gay in the Bible or who's trans in the Bible, just ask the question, who's gender nonconforming? Who doesn't conform to traditional gender? And as to their identity, their gender identity or their orientation, I don't know. But I can point out this is acting outside of what was considered typical and normal for the times and in the text. And that in itself is noteworthy. And that's what I said about to do in researching transfigurations. And it there were two parts of the research. One was biblical because I'm a Bible scholar. So I just went and asked Who's breaking the rules of gender? Right. And the other was about just better understanding trans and gender non-binary issues. And it included just interviewing a ton of people and just hearing about their experiences, as well as reading and watching documentaries, just so I had a better education about that. And then I slowly wove in together some of those ideas that I learned with the narratives to create transfigurations, transgressing gender in the Bible, which was a one-person play uh, that uh, premiered in the fall of 2007. And there it was. It was a play, and I didn't actually appear as myself in it. I would just do the play. It was this whole narrative arc of this one disciple's journey. You don't know who the disciple is. You don't know the disciple's gender. There's a big reveal at the end. And then I would do a little lecture at the end of it. Uh, People needed the lecture because they wanted to know, where did you get these crazy ideas from? And then they realized, oh, I really found them in the Bible. Mm -hmm. And then one day I broke my wrist. In a really, I wish it was a sexy accident. I tripped over a fence in my front yard. Oh. <laughs> I, I kept on coming up with alternate stories. I uh, it was a dancing pole incident, uh, but, <laughs> but no, I was gardening. Uh, <laughs> dangerous stuff. And right. then suddenly, I had to perform at Yale University, but oh, I couldn't gosh. perform the play because I couldn't even tie a scarf around my neck. So I'm like. Now what do I do? And I'm not going to say no, I'm going. Right. So hopped up on pain medicine. (laughs) I go to Yale University and I decide to do a lecture, a talk about it with some excerpts. Right. And that worked so well that I realized that's the way to present this, Mm -hmm. particularly in academic settings. So then I began doing it as this performance lecture. 
doing it at seminaries, at queer conferences, like Creating Change and Gender Odyssey and all these different places, uh, going to churches, going to universities, North America, South Africa, um, all over Europe, wow. and, um, and just really happy with it. But knowing it needs to be on a DVD, because there are a lot of people who could never go to a show. Um, there's a lot of people who would, right. nev- who would never choose to go to a show because of what for lots of reasons so then that was the dream to make a dvd and i was like but it's got to be good i'm not going to do just in front of a live audience dvd it needs to be sharp and it needs to be really thoughtfully done because you're taking something on stage and you're putting it on the screen a small screen at that so it needs to be intimate and i despaired because i i didn't have the money to do it and i you know i didn't know what to do and then one day about three years ago now i did a performance in minnesota and this man came up to me afterwards he heard that i wanted to do the movie he said how much would it cost and i threw out a ridiculous number and he said okay okay what like okay what (laughs) okay Uh. what okay he said okay well i inherited a lot of money from my family and we like to live very simply and we like to fund justice projects and this is a justice project so we'd like to um give you this money so that you can produce this film to which i said no thank you (laughs) because i know there's no such thing as a free lunch right but often if somebody wants to pay for something, they want something in return, right? Right. They want, and I said, no, I'm, I, you know, I really don't want to be beholden to anyone. I want, I have this artistic vision. He says, oh no, that's fine. I don't want any influence over it all. I don't even want you to include my name on this. Um, I just want to give you the money. You do what you want. Wow. And then I said, yes, uh-huh. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and found a young filmmaker who had just gone to a conservative Christian school. He was a, a straight ally, um, really good filmmaker. And uh, he got a team together of mostly evangelical Christian men who <laughs> were not quite yet allies. Right. And that, I was like, that's good, because that's the audience I want to reach right? among other people. And then um, earlier last year, uh, around April, um, we um, we premiered it, uh, Transfigurations, the, the movie, which um, is also on a DVD and has two versions on the DVD, actually. It has the lecture version and the original play version. And then it's just been now going around. People have been watching it online through Amazon. And um, for the past month, I had it online for free because it was supposed to be in a film festival in Uganda. But the police raided right before the film was going to start. Isn't that? Wow, right? Right. So I was like, you can't shut us down. And I was like, you know, this was freely given to me. I'm going to freely give it as as often as I can. So right. I've given and, uh, or, and sold a cost for the production of the DVD to different trans organizations to sell it as they like, use it for fundraisers. Uh, and we had it online free for a month for people to watch. So, I mean, this is amazing. And uh, George and I have watched both versions now. Yay. <laughs> And as academics and as people with religious backgrounds, we personally liked the the lecture version better, but I can see how the narrative linking instead of the lecture linking segments would definitely tell more of a story and give more of an emotional through line to the entire concept, especially with those sections lifted from uh, the Gospel of Thomas. Yeah, it was something that, you know, I think it depends on the audience. And if there's someone like you who's really wants to know about the theology yeah the lecture makes a lot of sense from an artistic standpoint i love the performance version because it 
it does tell a story and um it's it's there's something much more subtle about it and i and it and i remember i performed it once at a conference in north carolina and it was predominantly trans people of color who come from christian backgrounds and there was just sobbing in the audience at the end and i did the performance version and i it just kind of that was a confirmation to me like yeah this has a yes. an emotional artistic impact that's important as well and it was um david weekly a methodist minister who's trans who insisted he said if you're going to do the film i insist you must do the performance version as well. Right. Um, or I will be very angry because it meant a lot to him. Right. Well, I can see that. It's it's really moving. And it's a, a great piece of, of art and of artistic activism and of educational communication. Did, did either of you have a particular favorite character or scene that jumped out at you? I liked the information that went with each story because I don't have the, you know, Bible scholar background like you and Jess have. So I needed that information to know what story that related to or why that would be important. So each of those pieces that that tied those uh, stories together, that was my favorite part, being able to understand where these things fit where where did you where did you find them and why do they mean what they mean? Cool. So yeah, I really like that. Yeah, one of my um, rules I gave to myself was I was only going to present information that I could support in the text in a way that an evangelical Christian would understand. And it's because there's we live in a country that people in a way are held hostage to the way they read the Bible, right? And they're unable and unwilling to think in fresh new ways if it can't be confirmed in the text. That is true. And I don't like that. I mean, I don't think we need to have uh, an ancient text to tell us how to be decent to each other. I don't think that's necessary. It's not working either. Did they notice? (laughs) (laughs) But I figure if people are stuck there, well, then I want to give them a pathway to harm reduction and to say, okay, that's fine. If If it must be something you see in your Bible, well, here it is. I think that's great because I do see that, you know, from the other side, I see people very stuck there and it's hard to communicate with them. And you have that language, you know, that cultural language to be able to do that with them. And that was a really smart move there. I think for that reason, the question you asked was, were there any stories that really stuck? The one that stuck with me was the story of Joseph because it's being told not by him, but by Esau, where it's like, I'm a gender conforming manly man. But holy nonsense, Batman, this, this kid knows what's up, even though he's not fitting what I expect. Yeah. Yeah, I like that story. Yeah, I, I like telling it through Esau performing, performing that maleness, um, because it is a performance. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> what was interesting is, you know, I'd been performing it for 10 years by the time we got to the studio to film it. And suddenly in the studio, it's so close. I mean, the mic is literally inches from my face, right above my head. And I didn't have to, I didn't have to project my voice. And when I played the Esau character, Joseph's uncle, this weird tenderness came through and a real vulnerability came through for me about that character, like a new understanding of this character, um, which is what actors do. We explore potential sides to a character. And it was interesting just seeing this person who 
um, for all of the gruffness, was had a real core of insecurity. As do most men who present themselves like that. <laughs> Don't tell them. I didn't say that. <laughs> They'll be frightened. <laughs> <sighs> so what are you up to right now? And what would you like us to plug on your behalf? Or where would you like our listeners to go and find your work? Um, of course, you've got the DVD. And we'll put a link in the show notes to that. And the lecture version is on Amazon. That's right. And what else are you doing that you would like us to send our friends to? Well, one thing that has been really important to me in taking on new work, the climate work, it wasn't in any way of saying, well, I'm not going to do this queer work anymore. In fact, I feel it's very, very important to look at various queer responses to climate change. So at uh, the Philly Trans Health Conference, for instance, this past September with Liam Hooper, who is a, a trans guy who's a theologian, we did a presentation about trans lives and climate change and how trans people are affected by climate change in the USA and beyond um, to looking at these intersections and vulnerable populations. And then I was able to take some of that information to the American Public Health Association and do a presentation in D.C. to them. And what was great was not only am I talking about climate change, but I'm really helping non-queer audiences who don't have a lot to do with queer stuff, helping them understand what are some of the issues that we are dealing with that go beyond marriage and beyond wedding cakes, Right. Right. Yes. <laughs> They're like, wait, there's more. I'm like, yes, what? there is. Like housing and <laughs> and and you know medical care and all sorts of things and immigration and right. IDs and you know all the stuff that we're fully aware of but doesn't get covered much even by some of the mainstream queer press. Right. So that's exciting. So this year I will be literally crisscrossing the USA and we'll spend a month in the UK doing presentation at universities and conferences. Uh, and the best way to find out where I'll be is at petersontoscano.com. Wonderful. And that's where I have my website. Um, also, I had a, a soft launch for a new product of sorts that I'm, I'm sharing Ooh. with the world. It's another weird way of sharing my theology through a comic book this time. And it's the um, untold story of a character who was at the birth of Jesus, but doesn't get much airplay. She believes she's Jesus's twin sister. And she does because she also evacuated out of Mary's uterus. Um, she is actually Jesus's um, placenta. Oh, yes. I remember you talking about this way, way back, like even on Queer and Queer <laughs> mentioning that you were developing this concept. Yeah. So I've been really looking forward to this. When I saw it come back up on your social media feed, I was like, oh, well, and it sounds perhaps grotesque and blasphemous, but it's an, I don't think it's either of those things. It's really a meditation about gender and privilege and um, ableism and all sorts of other things. And, and, but through the eyes of this placenta who lives and has feelings and superpowers <laughs> and has her own set of adventures. So it's the amazing adventures of the afterbirth of Jesus. That is wonderful. So we'll have an official launch this year, but it is already available on Etsy. If someone wants to buy it, just look for Peterson Afterbirth or Jesus Afterbirth. You'll find it. Can't, right. There's not a lot competing <laughs> with my Afterbirth. Right. There are Afterbirth products on Etsy. Oh, there just are so plenty you know. of those, I'm yes. sure, but not many of them claim to be sentient. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and then um, I do the monthly show, Citizens Climate Radio, which um, really tries to look at climate change from a different way. In fact, every show has an art house segment where I interview an artist who is using their art to take on climate change. So this past month, I interviewed a sculptor who is designing solitary bee habitats. And it's really beautiful work that she does. I interview singer-songwriters and writers and visual artists and all sorts of folks. And um, it's it's definitely not your typical climate podcast at all. And it's really looking at human stories all over the world. That's great. Yeah, I've, I've been following that for a while since you um, transferred over there from the Climate Stew. And uh, I've really been enjoying it. So, and there are fifty episodes of Climate Stew. If anyone wants to go back and hear them, there, there, I had a lot of fun with it because I got to be really quirky and queer and play with characters and put climate. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> I loved Elizabeth Jeremiah. She's my oh all-time my gosh, favorite I have character. always loved her. <laughs> yes, <laughs> she just keeps moving along. That lady, you know. She made a she made an appearance in uh, Citizens Climate Radio, hasn't she? She did. In fact, some people were upset about it Aww. because they thought I was making fun of Southerners. No. Um, you know, it is a strange thing since Trump became president. People are not as as they're not as aware of nuance. Uh, I find that audiences are a lot more. I don't know, pressurized and tense and suspicious. And so they're not, they're losing out on the, the subtleties of satire. Yeah. Um, and so I've had to dial back some of my characters and, and in fact, retire some for a while Aww. because people just were misunderstanding them. Right. Un- unfortunately, it makes sense. We are very pressurized at this point. Yes. Mm-hmm. 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 All right. Well, was there anything else that you wanted to share with us before we wrap up? No, I think that's it. I'm on Twitter. I'm like on all that stuff. And I love, uh, you know, connecting with people. And if someone is in a community and they simply cannot avor- afford the DVD, um, just contact me and we'll see what we could work out for you. Because like I said, this is this is not just my project. I was gifted the information in many ways. Um, I feel like I like found this wonderful trove of stuff in the Bible uh, and I was very much enriched by the people I interviewed and their stories and um, you know and this guy gave me the money to make the DVD so you know I've like I had my own costs in right. producing it but but listen I want to get it out there if you want it in your library right if you want it at your LGBTQ resource center let me know I want to get it there too. Perfect. I, I would think with, you know, with the transfigurations that makes sense that your life might have gone in that direction a bit, especially since, as you said, some of your coming out started with meeting trans folks that helped you process uh, that, pro- you know, coming out. But do you, did you expect to be doing exactly what you're doing in your life right now? Oh my gosh, no! I mean, <laughs> for one, I'm I'm, I'm a, an introvert, uh, so okay, I get you um, there. A lot of performers are they they love a crowd as long as it's at the edge of a stage. That's right, and there's a there's a gap between us, right? And I have lines and a role <laughs> to play. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, don't don't put me in a cocktail party or or kind of a mixer like that. I'm lost. Uh, so so no, I I never imagined you know I never imagined the, you know being a queer public speaker performer person to begin with, and then someone doing climate change. Oh my gosh, absolutely not! And I think that I think that's really exciting because you know we can have images of ourselves that can get challenged in wonderful ways, and um, we can discover new things about ourselves 
Uh, even as we get older, you know, you think, ah, we're done. But no. And I think that that's the encouragement that I find that we model so well often among LGBTQ plus people is that we get to challenge not just the norms of society, but even the norms that we set upon ourselves at times. Very good. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Well, thank you. I, I think that's one of the things I like about, you know, having been a queer all my life, too, is that the perspective is different and the way it challenges everything in your world. Yeah. Yeah. And not just sexuality or gender, but it really, and, and lots of policies and politics and relationships, oh, lots of things. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for, thanks for talking with us today. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. So Peterson, is that it? That's it. We'd love to hear from you, so let us know what you think or what you want to hear about by emailing us at transpantastic at gmail.com or by commenting at our website, transpantastic.net. Don't forget to subscribe in Stitcher, iTunes, or your favorite podcatcher, and leave us reviews and star ratings. Disclaimer time. We are neither your doctor nor your mental health professional. We are here to discuss our own lives, so we take no responsibility for your decisions based on our discussions. If you are considering transition, please seek professional assistance. If you are considering parenting while transitioning, you definitely need professional assistance. All contents are distributed under a Creative Commons no derivative license and may be shared freely in their entirety. Any alteration or less than complete reproduction requires permissions of the hosts. Thanks for listening. That happens between us. Between it. Between it. Listen, it's so loud in my ears <laughs> oh, well, that I can't. There we go. I, I can only hear the microphone. Is that better? Yes. Okay. I can almost hear myself in my head now. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs>